Hello, friends. Good to see you. Uh, it's good to be here. I saw Star Wars today. Um, there is a character in it who has a speech impediment. It made me feel really special. I'm sure he is a thief and a crook, but you got to start somewhere. Solidarity. And uh, it really did. Like, I was like, oh, thanks. I gotta, you know, there are other people out there. And um, it felt good. Like, it was like a good Christmas present to me. It was kind of an early Christmas thing. Um, Christmas, uh, growing up, a uh, very, very fun time of year, but also the opposite of a fun time of year. Because, like, growing up in a household that your parents just, they idolize Christmas. Everything has to be perfect. And so every year, our parents, they would take us Christmas shopping, but Christmas shopping for clothes. And clothes are khaki pants and sweaters. And, and so as a kid, khaki pants and sweaters are the enemy. And, but... Those were the clothes that my parents would take us to buy every Christmas season uh, to have the image of being perfect. And then that there'd be the Christmas haircut that would kind of always be like the, like that, you know, like it was the only time of year that I had to have a, the, the, the like comb over thing. And if you have a comb over, I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of you. Don't email me. Uh, but it was kind of a deal as like, you know, a kid growing up, you don't want to have a comb over. And it was like the Christmas haircut because you had to take the Christmas pictures. And, and, uh, and the Christmas picture, I remember, I remember like my parents would always say, pretend to be happy. Okay. Just pretend to be happy. I know you're completely like hating this, but pretend to be happy. And all of us would be like, hey, uh, Christmas pictures, you know? And but then you have all the Christmas parties that you don't want to go to. And kind of even the people that host Christmas parties don't even want to host the Christmas parties. But, and so it's like the people that are going to Christmas parties don't want to go to the Christmas parties. And people who host the Christmas parties don't want to have the Christmas parties. But you have Christmas parties because you think you have to have Christmas parties. And so everyone's like, eh. Um, but, but the hosts, like, they have to do it perfect. And it's beautiful. And it's good. And then the people are coming. They have their khaki pants and their sweaters and their comb overs. And they're trying to be perfect. Do you know what I mean? And, and you're practicing these manners that you don't ever use any other time of the year. Like, they don't exist, except for the Christmas season, because there's Christmas trees and Christmas lights and the ornaments and the tinsel and all that stuff. And so there's all this pressure to be perfect. I just remember, like, oh, man. And so, so the Christmas season kind of, like, balls that feeling up for me of, like, all right, it's time uh, to just be awesome. You know, it's time, you know, for tinsel and the ornaments and, and to kind of, like, ball up kind of everything that's horrible and throw it away and pretend that everything is great for a time being. And then you have these Christmas parties and, and all these people that you're going to see and you're going to experience and you're not sure if you want to see them or talk to them, but you're going to have small talk, you know, just to get through it. And so, so you talk about things like, you know, like your job or your family or the things that you're into, your investments you just got. And no one actually cares what you're going to talk about those things. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a lot I got to get off my chest about Christmas parties. I've been going to a lot of them, and it's just like, guys, too many. Um, so, and, and so there's something that's cool about the Bible, though. Something that's very cool about the Bible is it applies to almost everything. The Bible teaches us how to think. Um, it teaches us how to think because it puts us in d different contexts that we're able to apply um, to, to anything. And I firmly believe that, that God, he cares about our situations. And, and if anyone, if, if anyone 
knows how to throw a party, it should be God, right? But for many of us, it's like, whatever, that's like going to church, and that's like the opposite of a party, right? Um, not necessarily. Um, I b- b- believe that like God is the God of the party, and to learn how to throw the best party, um, and furthermore, who to invite, God would know how to do such things. And so today, I want to invite you into um, a passage that talks about God throwing a party. It isn't necessarily a Christmas party, but it could be. So, so if you have your Bibles, please turn them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 12. And we're all going to say this together as a congregation. Here we go. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." So off the bat, for all of those people who are here that are thinking about Christmas dinner and you're like thinking, oh my gosh, does my brother have to come? Well, the Bible says no. Do not invite your brother. Do not invite your sister. You're good to go. So if you are in this space of like, what do I do? All you need to do is open up the Bible, say, sorry, guys, you're not coming this year. Freedom, freedom. That's the kingdom. Um, <laughs> Love it. Um, but honestly, it's all right to do that. Um, so um, this passage, right off the bat, it takes place. Um, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. There is a dinner happening, and Jesus, he is the teacher for the evening. The Pharisees are there to be taught by him, and he begins by saying, uh, because they're all at a dinner party, he says, so if you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where is this? The, do not invite your brother, your sister, your family, the, the rich, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, your reward will come at the resurrection of the righteous. Um, this is important to put into context right at the beginning, because this is the beginning of Jesus's teaching for the evening. This is like the climax. The past sermons that Pastor Allen has done about being at the dinner table has been building up to this point. And so, and so he's going into the intro, and he's talking about this banquet, and he's talking about this party, and he says at the end of the intro that your payment is going to be seen at the, at the end when there's the resurrection of the righteous. This is the intro. All that to say is when he says that, he's pretty much proclaiming, I'm talking about a party, but I'm not actually talking about a party at all. And here's how we're able to see that. So if you go on in the passage, directly after that, it says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Okay, so he says... Blessed is the one who eats at the feast of the kingdom of God. This is directly following Jesus saying, whenever you throw a party or a luncheon, here's who to invite. And then one of the Pharisees says, 
Blessed is he who, who eats at the table of the kingdom of God. This is the Pharisee saying, I know exactly the thing you're talking about. Pause button. Um, so Jesus is kind of bringing up the introduction to his upcoming sermon. And he's talking about a party, a banquet, a dinner, and the kingdom of God. As if the, the party is the kingdom of God. And the Pharisee says, I see that. Blessed is he who dines at the kingdom of God. This this type of thing is very, very similar to, say, if you go to like a a sports bar or something, and then the Broncos are playing, and someone says, go Broncos, and then, then everyone in the bar will say, go Broncos, same thing, right? Um, so Jesus is saying, I'm about to talk to you about the kingdom of heaven, and then the Pharisee says, blessed is he who experiences the kingdom of heaven. It's like, game on, I see you, okay? So there's a parable about to happen, there's a teaching about to happen, there's a story about to happen that Jesus is going to talk about the kingdom of heaven th through the idea of a banquet and a party. They know exactly what's about to happen because there's a prophecy of a banquet and there's a prophecy about a party that the upcoming teaching ties directly to. And here it is. Okay, so as a congregation, let's do it. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of the rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in this salvation. This passage is traditionally called the great banquet. It's called the great banquet. And there's this Hebraic prophecy is that when the kingdom of heaven comes, there will be a great banquet. So when Jesus begins to talk at this dinner table of a banquet, a dinner party, and then the Pharisee says, blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Like there's this, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he's pointing back to Isaiah 25. So so Jesus, he's about to, to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's important um, to, to just briefly talk about what is he talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So is he talking about heaven? So is he talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth? Or is he talking about a kingdom here on earth? Or is it the cohesion of heaven and then earth combining together? Um, yes. He's talking about all those things. Um, so is he talking about the kingdom of heaven is coming? Is he talking about the kingdom of heaven has come? Or is it that the kingdom of heaven is going to come at the end of time? Yes, he's talking about all those things. In fact, in fact, Jesus always is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He has, he has 
teachings about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven has come. And then there are other times he'll say, the kingdom of heaven is here. Um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like all around you. Do you see it? Do you taste it? And then he'll do other ones. He'll say, the kingdom of heaven, it's coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming. It's coming towards us. Do you see it coming? And so if you take the past, the present, and the future, and you ball it up, and you hug it all together, that's what he's talking about. In fact, uh, whenever he teaches his disciples to pray, um, when he teaches at the heartbeat of his prayer, it's on earth as it is in heaven. It's like whatever you have up there, bring it right here. It's like there. what if there wasn't a difference between here and there? Bring that here. And when you bring that here, there's, you know what I'm saying? The cohesion, the hug, the crashing, the bridal yeah so so this is what he's talking about there is the the future there is the present and there is the past and so and furthermore there's this great banquet that's about to happen and there's this pro- prophecy of, of hope and perseverance and the beauty of whenever god fulfills all things Furthermore, the thing that he's about to do, um, and I'm trying to set, set kind of a preface here, is he's about to give a parable. And a parable is something that Jesus is an, he's awesome at. Um, he is just great at giving brilliant parables. Parables are telling a story um, that has a deeper <laughs> meaning to it. And furthermore, they just don't have a single meaning. They could have two or three or four or five or six hundreds of meanings to them. And that's why they're so fun. The Hebrew people often taught in parables, and then they would sit and talk about them for hours. And it was fun, right? It's not just a singular, here's the point, okay? It was more of, I'm going to toss this out there. And then people would talk about it forever, because there are so many things to pick apart. So whenever you engage a parable, have fun. They're supposed to be fun. And furthermore, the points that they have are super, super engaging and good to talk about. So we have a parable. It's about the kingdom of God, and it's about a great banquet. The other thing to set the stage here just a bit is the Hebrew people have a tradition. It's called a Double invite, a double invite. So if there's a party or a anything, there's always going to be a double invite. You're going to get invited twice to it. There will first be the invite that goes out to everybody. It's kind of just saying, who can come? Who can come to this? Please RSVP. Um, so uh, please RSVP. And then the people who RSVP, VP, it goes back to the host, then the host will prepare the banquet or the party according to the people who have RSVP. Um, so the, the, the preparation process has happened. The food is prepared. It's all set to go. The party is all set up. Then the second invite happens. The servant is going to go out to all the people who already said, I'm in, I'm coming to your party. And the servant will go out and say, the party is ready, right? And then everyone will come. So there's 
two invites that happens. The first one just goes out to everyone. Who can come to our banquet? Who can come to our party? Who's in? And then the RSVs come in. The host prepares the banquet. Then the servant goes out and then says, the party is ready for all of those who already accepted the first invite. So that's the premise that the parable begins at. It begins with the second invitation. So it assumes that the people it's talking about has already accepted the first one. Okay, here it is. Let's go. Everybody now, and put some power behind it this time. The other ones were kind of lame. All right, let's go. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Love it. Okay, so um, the, the first thing that's important uh, just to point out, um, so, so, so the host is throwing a party and he sends his servant out to tell everyone the party has been prepared. The food is all set to go. So it's a second invite. So it's assuming that the people that are hearing this have already accepted the first one, right? They already said, I'm coming to your party. Then as he's going out, the people he's saying, come to my party, they're going, yikes, I can't. And the first guy who says, I can't, he says, I just bought a field. Um, the second guy who says, I can't, he says, I just bought oxen. The third guy says, I just got married, <laughs> right? These are all fantastic things. But the first guy, I just bought a field. Second guy, I just bought oxen. The third guy says, I just got married. Now, whenever you encounter a parable, especially a parable from God talking himself, you know, you have to think everything is said on purpose. These aren't just hypothetical things that are tossed out there. Um, there is a point that Jesus is talking about a guy who bought a field. There is a point behind this guy who just bought the oxen. And that there is a point behind the guy who just got married. Furthermore, in this vocabulary, in this parable, something that all three people say kind of is, I just, like it just happened. Like I just bought a field. I just got the oxen and I just got married. Now, the importance of that, I have no idea, but it's interesting to me. Like, I was like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know, but that could be something to go home and to think about, to talk about, possibly in, in the groups that you're in. Uh, go home and talk about that and tell me, because I have no idea what that would mean. Um, but there's something about that. Like, I just got married. I just bought a field. I just bought oxen. Love it. What does that mean? First of all, the guy who just bought a field and says, I cannot come to this banquet that I already promised to be a part of. 
Um, this kind of is a symbol of personal property, right? It's the ownership. The, the ownership of personal property that keeps people from experiencing the thing that they had hoped to experience before. Um, how many of us have been in situations that the ownership of things have, has kept kept us from experiencing the, the true value of our daily lives. Like something I found uh, to be quite profound is the more I have, the more I feel like I have to protect it. And the more I have, the more time I do not have. And so with this idea of this guy who bought a field, and the, so in the Hebrew culture, if you buy a field, it's just not a field. It's like, like it's huge. It's like 10,000 Acres. It's like property. It's like power. It's everything. Um, so this guy is pretty much saying, I mean, I can't come. I've arrived. Like, I have it. I've got what I was going for, and I just got it. That's going to say also that whenever he accepted the first invitation, he did not have a field before. So he had been in a totally different spot than he is today. And when he got the first one, he said, yeah, I'm in. I want that. But then when the second invite came, he said, I'm in a different place. I'm whole now. Then you have the second guy who bought the oxen. Um, so oxen in the Hebrew culture is the symbol of promise, and it's done, it's a big, like, um, so if you have cows, um, they till up the field, and people will pay to have you bring the oxen to their fields to till it up for them. And so it's this idea of prospect. It's the idea of hope. Uh, today it'd be similar to saying, I just bought a brand new business or I'm beginning a company um, to have that many oxen and he's about to try it out. Furthermore, it just happened. I just bought this. I just am now engaging this opportunity. Um, opportunity is at hand for me. I just got it. There are so many times um, that I believe the idea of promise and prosperity and opportunity for me personally, um, just kind of consumes everything. Like opportunity is at hand. So the second guy is, is, is like, he just encountered this idea of opportunity. He just bought a business, a company, an investment, and he is so excited that when the second, when the servant comes to say, this party, it's now, it's here. He's like, I I'm sorry, I, I can't do that right now. There's this opportunity. How many of us have had that same sort of situation that whenever shimmers shimmers of the kingdom come to life, it's like, no, there are other things at this point. Then the third guy, love it, um, he says, I just got married. Like, it just happened, and I can't come to your party. Now, at this, it's like, that's a good excuse, right? Like, right off the bat, you're like, dude, you can't blame that guy. And you have to think, in terms of a parable, and in terms of Jesus' teaching, of course you can't blame that guy. 
And you can't blame the guy with the oxen. And you can't blame the guy with the field either. Like, these are all big, brilliant things. But all the other teachings about the kingdom of heaven, they're all about you give everything for that. Right? You give everything for that. You're all in or you're all out. It's like, like, do you see the kingdom at hand? And so he's building like this thing. Like at first, it's like the guy who has a field. You're like, oh, you know, that's not that good of an excuse, but okay, excuse. And then the oxen, opportunity, you get it. And then the guy who just got married, like Jesus, give him a break, you know? And it's like, these are all great excuses to not accept the second invitation but they aren't in Jesus' perspective of the value of the great banquet and the value of the kingdom. It's like all these people are missing the greatest opportunity of all time because they're too busy with their private property. They're too preoccupied with the potential investments, and they're too, too engulfed in personal relations that they don't see it. There is something subversive about the kingdom of God that I love. That I think so often, whenever people think about the kingdom of God, they think about the clouds parting and then like heaven crashing into earth and huge things happen. And it's all about being prepared for that. It's like like we are all preparing ourselves for something huge. Right? And when something huge happens, I will be prepared. And I bet you the guy who had the field had been prepared for something huge, and the guy with the oxen was prepared for something huge, and the guy who just got married was preparing himself for something huge. That if the clouds parted and heaven crashed into earth, they said, I'm in. But, but I think so much about the kingdom of heaven and the subversive culture of the kingdom of heaven is preparing ourselves for something very, very, very small. Um, very small, tiny things all over the place, very small. It is easy to prepare our hearts for something that is huge. It is very hard to prepare our hearts for something small. And the kingdom of, happen, of heaven penetrates our daily lives all the time, all the time. And we miss it. We miss a second invite all the time because we are so caught up in all of our stuff. We're so caught up. And it's like the kingdom of heaven is inviting us to come and play. And we are like, sorry, I just bought, you know, I just bought a field. Sorry, I just bought oxen. Sorry, I just got married. And those are all great excuses, but they're not. You see, the kingdom of heaven is all about this subversive culture that changes from the inside out. That it's that that if you do not see it, like living and breathing and just a simple reality of the time that you have to engage the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do in every situation, in any time period, you're missing it. Like, like we're missing it. I don't know how many times that, that I felt like, man, this is a great opportunity to spend time at home and play with the kids. And then I'm like, no, I got to do my job, you know, like, or I got to do, I got to doing my investments or I need to thrive here and I miss the simple realities or or like those the, the, those times that, that that I could have been a better husband but I'm too 
busy to see it. Um, there are times that, that, that I'm totally out in public, you know, thinking I should spend time with so-and-so, but I think, no, I should be going here, or I should be doing this, or I should be spending my money in this. I mean, like, so many times I just miss it, miss it, miss it, because I'm so, so busy. And furthermore, I think I'm all right. Like, so in my head, I'm like, man, I got good excuses here. I got really good excuses. I, I have things I need to take care of. I have opportunities that I'm, I'm pursuing. And I'm, you know, like, I'm in this. But then the parable continues on, all right? The parable continues. The parable doesn't end here. Where the people just saying, I'm out. Please excuse me. It continues. Here it is. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became very angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So you had the people at first who accepted the invite and, and, and they said, no, I'm sorry. I have property. I have the oxen and I just got Married. And so the servant comes back and says, sorry, man, like the people aren't coming. And the host gets mad and says, go back out there and you bring in the, you bring in the poor, you bring in the cripple and you bring in the blind and you bring in the lame. And those will be the people who will be at my party. First of all, that's an interesting party if you think about that. You have this huge table and those are the people that are gonna be at it. But, but also, this is a parable, right? And everything in a parable has purpose. And Jesus is like the king of juxtaposition. And what, and, and, and what he does in almost all of his parables is the compare and contrast and the opposite do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so, so at first, he's talking about these guys who have fields and the oxen and those that just got married. Like, these are like the high people in Hebrew society. Then he's talking about the poor, the blind, the cripple, the lame, right? The opposite. And in parable, juxtaposition is important. So the the poor corresponds to who? The guy who just bought the field, right? So if the guy who can't buy the field is not going to come, then I want the opposite of him, right? Invite the poor people. And then if the guy who just bought the oxen can't come, who's the opposite of the oxen guy? Remember to have the oxen. You have a plow behind the, the, the oxen. You're behind the oxen. You're standing on the oxen. You're, you're pulling back on the oxen. And so he's like, so if we can't have the oxen guy, invite the cripple guy because he doesn't have the oxen, right? Right? And then he says, then invite the blind and the lame. Who are they in Hebrew culture? They're the people out on the streets that are begging because they don't have family. They won't ever get married because they can't provide for anyone. And so they are out on the streets begging and they are alone. And so it is the opposite of the guy who just got married. So juxtaposition, right? So, so, so you have this parable, like you have this guy who says, I can't come. I'm sorry. I just bought a field. So 
Jesus said, then bring the poor guy. And then you have the guy, I'm sorry, I can't come. I have bought oxen. Then go get the guy who can't stand behind the oxen. And then I'm sorry, I just got married. Well, then go get the guys who will never get married and you bring them here. And that's who this party is for. And this is important because... What is this party, right? It's just not any party, right? What's this party all about from the beginning? Here it is again. Okay, everybody. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of all meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people from disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will sure, surely, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saves us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Who needs to be at that party? You know, like who needs to be at that party? It is, it is the blind. It is the poor. It's the crippled. It's not the people who say, sorry, I just bought a field right? Who needs to be at this party? It's the people who are hurting. It's the people who are broken. It's the people who don't have it. The people who in every other context don't belong. That's who needs to be on at this banquet, at this dinner, at this feast. That's what this party is all about. How many of us have accepted the first invitation, you know, like, yes, I'm in, I want that, but actually haven't experienced any of it because we're too busy to hear the second one. Like how many of us from the beginning are like, yeah, I, I believe I'm in, but have never actually tasted the food or sat down at the banquet. How many of us are just talking about our properties, our investments, our relationships that we never actually talk about our authentic selves and offer that to God? Um, it's the Christmas season. And I, I typically just enjoy Christmas like crazy because it's the... Time that it seems like everything is okay or it can be okay. But going into the season, I am at a place that it seems like everything is upside down for me. I am having a very difficult time. There are so many things happening, um, just kind of all. Kind of all around me. Um, that's very personal and hard, and it seems really dark and broken. And I just feel hopeless a bunch of times. And I've been like thinking, like, how do I engage Christmas? I mean, like, I got to pull it together. I need to pull it together for my family. I need to pull it together for my kids. I got to do a sermon before Christmas. You know, like, what do I do? And then I encountered this passage and like, and I get, it just like hit me aside the head of this is who Christmas is for. 
This is who the kingdom of God is for. It's not for the perfect, the put together, the Christmas sweater, the comb over haircut. It's for the people who have to crawl to the banqueting table and say, I made it. I'm here. Um, It's all I have to offer. Um, So it's for those people that can't see anymore um, because they're blind or they're hurting. It's for those people that are are poor and can't afford to show up. Um, It's for for us. Um, The invitation of the banqueting table, the great feast, the invitation of God, Christmas is simply, you belong here. You know, it's, it's you belong here. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever hard times, whatever you're going through, it belongs at this table. It, 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 so it isn't a con- just consequence that, or coincidence that the theme of the table just goes through the Bible all over the place of God preparing a table for us or the great banqueting tables or the prophecies of the banquet. And um, there's so many things about, about the table and it's just like you, you belong here. And so in this season, I want to, to challenge you and to invite you to authenticity, to integrity, um, to honesty, and to show up and experience Christ truly who you are. I have not been as excited to experience Christmas as I am today because before I would show up and everything seemed perfect. And that's the thing that I offered Christ. I said, here I am. It's my perfect self. This Christmas season, I'm excited to crawl up to the table, broken and bleeding and tired and exhausted and saying, here I am, save me. And I'm really excited about that because that's what Christmas is all about. So if you host a party, don't invite perfect people. They're not going to show up because they do not exist. Invite the broken, the poor, the hurting, the blind, the, the lame, because those are the people who are going to show up because that's who we all are. And if you are hurting and broken and tired and Aim, you belong here. So blessed are you who are honest about the situations that you are in. Blessed are you if you are hurting. Blessed are you if you are blind. Blessed are you if you are crippled. Blessed are you if you are experiencing pain. Blessed are you who see things as they actually are. Because Jesus has prepared a great feast for you. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and the table that you have prepared for us. 
that you do not invite us to get all of our things together, to put on our khaki pants and our sweatshirts and our haircuts. In fact, you say, just keep those at home. Come, crawl here, hobble here. There's a seat for you. God, we thank you that you do not invite perfect people. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to us. We thank you for both of them. Jesus, we thank you that you continually tell us you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong. So for those of us, for those of you who do not believe that you belong, hear this, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong. You belong. You belong. You belong. You belong. The things that have kept you from thinking that you belong are the things (laughs) that make you belong. So come as you are, heavy and broken. Come as you are, happy and joyful. Come as you are, blind and seen. Come as you are, poor and rich. This table is for you. Come as you are. Oh God, we pray blessing on this space. God, we, we thank you that you have brought your spirit here. We thank you that you have prepared a place for us long, long ago for this very moment. We thank you that you invite us to come just as we are in the state that we are and that we do not have to pretend here. So as this time of singing or sitting or standing or being quiet is about to begin. I want to invite you to be who you are and offer God the things that you bring. Some of you are excited to be in this space and you've brought things and you're excited to sing. Awesome. Some of you aren't. Awesome. Some of you are compelled to stand and put your hands in the air. Praise God. Some of you are compelled to sit down and be quiet. Praise God. Some of you are in this space of questioning and doubt and tears and crying. Praise God. Some of you are in places of praise and joy. Praise God. Wherever you are, I want to invite you into a space to be that. And bring whatever you have brought to the table. This is an invitation to stay inside the comfort zone that you have. And to be you. And to, have, and, and to engage the place you are. And to say, God, this is my authentic heart right now. So if you are in a place of joy, be that. If you are in a place of sorrow, be that. If you are in a place of pain, be that. If you are in a place of thanksgiving, be that. 
but be what you're bringing to the table now because you, wherever you are, you belong here. God has prepared a place for you.